we spoke about last week that there's a difference between the emuna that most people refer to, which we said is probably more emotional or cultural or inculcated. You know, that's maybe ground zero of someone's life of emuna. But then there's many great heights that we want to achieve. So the first step we said is that you have to make your emuna your own. You have to acquire it. You can't rely on what your parents gave you. And that has to be some sort of cognitive approach. You have to use some sort of active pursuit of truth in order to achieve that. But it's clear uh, that that's not enough. You have to take that and find a way to migrate that into your behavior, into your uh, emotions, into your character, into your way of life. What I want to do today is sort of sketch out the various different levels of immuna integration. Like we said, we brought this a few weeks back, Noah was called a man of impartial faith, which is almost as if you look at a man and say, okay, how much of this man is dominated by faith? If it's someone's head, your head's very important, and if you have a moon of your head, that's great. But it's still impartial, it's still not, or still partial, it's not, it's incomplete, because your head is part of you, it's not all of you. If your heart is not a faith, then it's, it's still incomplete. So, when the Torah looks at a person, looks at the whole swath of what it means to be a human, and says what part of that is of faith, and what part of that is not of faith. We mentioned last week that Esau, his head was entirely dominated by faith, and that's why his head was buried with the rest of the forefathers. Because his head, in his head, if you just tried to isolate his head, he, he was like them. The difference is he didn't behave in a way that was uh, congruent with that belief. So there's various different stages of who we are that need to be infused with Amunu, with faith, in order for us to become men of complete faith. So I want to sketch out the various different steps along the way and then look at maybe the, some of the endpoints. And when I say endpoints, I want to stress these are not the actual endpoints. Do you know why? I'll bring you proof. Because Moshe was the greatest man that ever lived. By definition, this means Moshe had the most complete faith of anyone. Yet, the Torah has a severe criticism of Moshe. And what does it say? It says... Well, after he hits the rock, Ya'an lo bi. The criticism that Moshe and Aaron are given is that they don't have faith. Now, to say that Moshe doesn't have faith, well, how can we say that if Moshe doesn't have faith? Well, we, none of us have any faith, right? What it means is that even the greatest a human could possibly achieve, they can never reach the absolute end goal. And you know what? Neither can an angel, because complete faith entirely, that would be only God can have that. Only God can be totally aware of God, is existence, existence. And even the Ramam tells us that there's ten, level, ten layers of, ten levels of angels, the Ramam in, in Yesodah Torah. There's ten levels of angels, and each one of them in a higher level gets closer and closer to a more clear understanding of God, but not complete. Only God is the most clear understanding of God. Moshe's like an angel, still like an angel, he still doesn't have a Muna. Why has he not have a Muna? Moshe's the greatest man that ever lived. Of course he has a Muna, it's just it's not complete. So there is no end point. What I wanted to do today is sketch out what are the achievable endpoints that we could have. Like what's, it's already, we cannot, we can no longer achieve prophecy. What, what is prophecy? Prophecy is, and the Raman says that, prophecy is when someone gets rid of the Yetzirah. But what is prophecy talking to God have to do with the Yetzirah? The answer is the Yetzirah is a 
force that's antithetical to God. Talmud says Yetzirah is a foreign God within you because it makes you forget God. The reason why we don't have a Muna is because our soul is corrupted with a Yetzirah. And therefore, you get rid of the Yetzirah, well, what do you have then? You have a Muna. And you have a Muna, and you have God in your life, and thus you have more clarity. Get rid of the inhibitors and the barriers. And voila, you'll resort back to your natural state of having prophecy. But such a degree of faith is beyond us. Such a degree of Muna, of clarity, of having God in our life, that's not possible for us. That's no longer possible for us to, to achieve. To be like Abraham, to be like Moshe, those things are beyond us. And the Talmud does make a demarcation line, what we can achieve and what we cannot achieve. And I want to kind of look at, give an overview of what are the various different levels along the way and what is the end point and what, what, you know, what's the transition line of what we is still within human achievement today and what is beyond us. So I want to break it down like this. We have cognitive emuna, where someone in their head, they have emuna. But even within that, there's probably many levels, right? If you believe, you really believe that God exists, you're convinced by that. But is it possible to have maybe a little bit of a needling doubt every once in a while? Moreover, is it possible maybe circumstances will, will cause God forbid that to maybe be reconsidered, to be an, yeah, well, okay. So maybe there's many different levels, even within cognitive faith, there's cognitive, yeah, I'm kind of sure about this. I'm fairly convinced. I'm absolutely certain this is like the sun, like, like the sun exists and the sky is blue and grass is green and this is a table, like, I know this is true. There's many different levels along the way. And of course, like we said, the, role of Torah and Mitzvahs are to get us to, to along that path. And I, I think there's the idea of Yira. Yira means fear of God, fear of heaven, and fear of a mitzvah, fear of hate. When someone is fearful of sin, what does that mean? It means that they start to behave in a way that is commensurate with what they believe. If someone says, if someone, if someone internal, internalizes and calcifies their, what they know, it becomes a reality, then they start to behave differently based upon that reality. So for example, you find out that smoking is very unsafe. So you avoid the cigarettes. The cigarettes are good. Why would you want to avoid them? Well, the answer is because your behavior, that knowledge is not just some idea in your head. It's actually how you live because that's what you know. And you know it just not in your head. You know it also how you behave. Gomorrah says about Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva would always say everything that the mind does is for good. Rabbi Akiva is a very high level. Can we achieve that? I don't know. Um, but I, let's take a modern day example. Someone has, it's Shabbos, right? We don't turn on lights on Shabbos. Um, someone, their kid starts fiddling around with the light, light switch and flips it on their Shabbos. And now your whole bedroom is bathed in light. And there's no one around, you know, and you, do you turn the light off or, or not? No one's watching. No one's going to judge you. If someone says, I'm not turning on, turning off this light, I'll sleep in my kid's room or I'll sleep in the hallway or I'll sleep in the office, I'll sleep on the floor. What are they showing? They're showing that God is not a theoretical idea. 
It's actually practical the way you live. And your behavior is governed by God. It's not just a moon of your head. It's not something theoretical in the realm of the abstract. It's practical. It's a way that you actually live your life. That's a, that's, that's a muna. And of course, every mitzvah is like that. Well, what's a mitzvah? Mitzvah is you're acting in a way because of God. So the, so the, the idea of, that's a much more advanced idea than just talking about faith in, in the, in the theoretical realm as some sort of idea that we can accept and reject. It's actually living your life in a way that is formed by your faith. Now, we see mitzvos that seem to go even deeper. And, for example, the Rambam here in the Book of Mitzvos, he organizes the mitzvos in order of importance, really interestingly. Like the first mitzvah he breathes is to believe in God. So obviously it's not a coincidence. You know, you look at the book of the Chinuch, the Chinuch is also a book based upon the Rambam's organization of 613 mitzvos, but the way he does it is based upon the order of where it appears in the Torah. So we'll start off with the mitzvah of procreation, goes on to the mitzvah of circumcision, next mitzvah of Gidanashe, not to eat from the sciatica, that's the book of Genesis, moves on to Exodus. It goes in order of where it, where it appears in the Torah, the Ram goes in order of importance. First mitzvah, to believe in God. Second mitzvah is to believe, believe in, the, in the indivisibility of God, God's one, Hashem Echad. And the third mitzvah is to love God. Okay, so let's look, let's look at this. The Ram says this mitzvah to love God. We know that we say it every day, multiple times, to love God. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's obviously a broad subject. But clearly, this is not limited to just the way we behave and we act and inter- interact with the world. But this seems to be even a little bit deeper. It's some sort of emotion. It's that our emotions, on that level of our existence, we have to have God as a player. We have to find joy and pleasure and emotion with our relationship to God. I think that's even a higher level. Uh, and additionally, we're told there's mitzvahs that talk about character. The halachta bedrachav, you have to act like God does. Well, a mitzvah, a character is much more fundamental to who a person is. It's a lot easier to change a behavior than it is to change a character. Right? Because a character is more, it's deeper, so to speak, into who a person really is. Character is to treat. Character is to treat, yes. So we're told to change that as well. To go in the ways of God. Just like God is kind, we be kind. God's merciful, we're merciful. Right? God uh, is uh, benevolent, we be benevolent. What does that mean? It means to take even a very, very deep level of who we are and to find a way to bring God into that. So I'm just showing this idea, very broadly speaking, um, that, that, that the idea of a mood is not limited to certainly nothing in the mind alone. Uh, it really transcends everything. It goes to the emotional level. It goes to uh, very deep uh, characteristic, core characteristics of who we are that has to be influenced. I want to look today... Um, th- those are kind of steps along the way. I want to look today at the level of emuna that is found in Chazal, in the books of the Mishnah and the Talmud. Because it seems to me that there's a clear point of demarcation of what we can achieve, what we cannot achieve. And also we see 
that uh, just many stories and many perspectives of the Talmud become clear once we understand it. So let's start with source number five here. Famous Gemara, we, talk, we spoke about this in the past, in the end of Sota. The source is discussing that after the temple is destroyed, there's no longer people of Emuna. Butlu There's no more Pasku Anshaman. People of faith don't exist anymore once the temple is destroyed. And again, we see that there is this point in time. Temple's destroyed, and now before the temple was destroyed, people of faith of Amuna existed. After the temple is destroyed, people of faith of Amuna don't exist. Well, what does that mean? Amr says Rabbi Yitzchak, Elu bnei Adam shehem aminu kashbarchu. These people that believe in God. And it says, well, what metric do we use to determine that? Detanya, Rabbi Lezer, Gadol Omer, kol meishelopas besalavur ma'achlamachar, eno el mekatne amonam. The barometer to measure what is the level of Amuna no longer achievable after the destruction of the temple is someone who has bread in their basket today, does not have bread in their basket tomorrow, and doesn't worry, doesn't say, what am I going to eat tomorrow? Doesn't even concern themselves with how am I possibly going to feed my family because we know he knows that God will provide. High levels are still achievable, but this particular one is not achievable. And it's clear, if you have to look at the words here, the words are, the person does not have food for tomorrow, and not only does he not freak out, he doesn't even entertain the possibility that food might not exist. He doesn't even say what I will eat, what will I eat tomorrow. It's not like he's so confident, and the idea is, is that the reality that God will provide, that's what I call supplantive reality. To us, there's the reality in the world, and the reality of the physical world is that your cupboards are empty. But the reality of the spiritual world is that the physical world doesn't matter, and God controls the world, and you're God's child, and God will treat you like a child, and therefore, God is a billionaire, and he has all the food in the world, and he'll feed you. But the point is, is that before the temple was destroyed, the level that was achievable was that people wouldn't even think to ask, what am I going to eat tomorrow? Wouldn't, it wouldn't entertain, they wouldn't consider such a possibility because their reality the one the reality that we have was supplanted by a different reality, and that is that God really exists, really, really, and that's more con- that's more true than what your eyeballs tell you is true. Your eyeballs are sending you physical signals, and that's great, but that's not real. What's real is what God tells us, and God says, "I love you like a child, and I'll feed you, and don't worry about it." So let's look at source number one, the famous Gemara in in Brachos. The Gemara has a question: How much does someone work? And the Gemara brings a disagreement. And the first opinion is Rabbi Yishmael. And he says that you have to, you have to have, you have a field and work the field, but also study Torah. Do both. Comes along Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and he says to him, what? Someone's gonna plow during the time of plowing and plant during the time of planting and harvest during harvest time and, 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 and thresh during the threshing and winnow during the time where it's, where it's windy. When is he ever gonna study Torah? Rather, what's his solution? During the time when the Jewish people are doing the will of God, their work will be done for them by others. And indeed, Rabbi Shemayachai himself, he was the one who moved into a cave with nothing. And the very next morning, what did he find at the entrance of the cave? The Gemara and Shabbos. He found a stream of water and the carob tree. Well, who provided that? God. He was someone that had the level of Amuna from before the temple was destroyed. And therefore, the reality that God will provide was like your father, your parent will provide you breakfast, 
Of course your parent will provide you breakfast. Do you do a shtadlis to say that you don't do a shtadlis because you know God will provide you, right? Your your parent will provide. They treated God like a parent and thus God treated them like a child and provided for them. The Gemara there says that a lot of people still tried it. A lot of people tried to say, ah, I'll rely on God entirely. But they it wasn't complete. And, and it didn't work for them because they woke up the next morning and there was no food for them. And the reason why there was no food for them is because when they went to sleep, they were like, gosh, I hope there's food, right? They still had doubt. Their reality wasn't supplanted yet. I want to show you another Gemara here. Look at source number four here. The Gemara is telling us about the the death uh, in the last testament of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Mm-hmm. Yochanan ben Zakkai was the leader of the Jews at the temple, the point of the temple being destroyed. So he was the one who went to negotiate with Vespasian during the siege of Jerusalem in 69. And... The students, so he died very old. He was 120 years old when he died. I think he died the year 78, eight years after the temple was destroyed. And the Talmud in the Gemara Brachos records what happens when the students came to visit him on his deathbed. And he started crying. And they say to him, why are you crying? What are you worried about? And he responds to them, if I was going to see a human king, and they were walking me towards a human king, and he was going to judge me, but the human king, today he's here and tomorrow he's in the grave. And if he gets angry at me, it won't last forever. It won't last for eternity. And if he punishes me, it's not going to last forever. And if he kills me, it's not going to last forever. And you know what? I could cajole him. I could bribe him. And I would still would be quivering. You don't want to make a human king, being judged by a human king. You'd still be terrified. But now they're breeding me before the king of all kings, the Almighty, who exists forever. Who is eternal? If he gets angry at me, it's it's eternal. If he punishes me, it's eternal. If he kills me, it's eternal. I cannot possibly cajole him or flatter him or bribe him. And yet, and I see before me the one path to Ganadim, one path to Gehenim. I don't know which way I'm going. Should I not cry? What's Rabbi Yochanan demonstrating? He is more fearful of God than he is of a human king. Rabbi Yochum he is an old school. He is someone who the reality of God was more visceral, more tangible than the reality of a human king. He had supplantive reality. But look what he tells his students. Uh, they said to him, Rabbeinu, Barcheinu, they said to him, give us a bracha, give us a blessing before you die. And he responds to them very strangely, it should be the will of God. Your fear of heaven should be as you fear man. You should be as scared of God as you fear of your fellow man. Said him, wait, what? What did you say? <laughs> they said to the students, said to him, really, this is it? We should be as fearful of heaven as we are of our of our man. So he responds to them, if only, if only people will be as fearful of God as they are of the fellow man, because when before someone sins. They look around to see, is anyone watching? No one's watching, I could sin, but they don't, they ignore God. It's an amazing juxtaposition here. Rabbi Yochanan Bezakai himself, he existed from the era where people were still able to have the reality of God to be greater than the reality of the physical world. But what is he telling his students? Let the fear of God be at least equal, be par with the fear of man. We, 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 by default, treat our fellow man as reality, but at least treat God with the same reality. Let, let, let achieve par, so to speak. 
between the reality of God and the reality of man. He himself, the reality of God, supplanted the reality of man. But at least he's telling his students, you guys could have, make God a reality no less than the reality of the world around you. And I think that that, that kind of, this level of, of, of on one hand, we see amongst Chazal or Ruchman Zakar, people that the reality of God was much more real than the reality of anything else. And as an example, we see the Gemara in Gittin here, I brought in number three, when Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, when he was smuggled out to speak to Vespasian during the siege of Jerusalem, he has a very famous dialogue with him. And he goes to him and tells him, Peace be unto you, O king. And Vespasian, who is a general, responds to him, I'm going to kill you twice. First, because it's treasonous to call someone who's not the emperor to call him king. I'm a general, not an emperor. Number two, why haven't you come to me till now? So what does Rabbi Yochanan respond? Amazing response. He tells him, if you're not a king, you will be a king. Why? Because otherwise, Jerusalem would not fall to you. Why? And he quotes a verse. The verse tells us, Ve'halavanon ba'adir yipol. The Levanon, Lebanon, which is a reference to the temple, will fall to the adir, to the mighty. And what's a mighty? Mighty is only a king, not a general. Thus, Rabbi Yochanan Zaka, his physical eyeballs, what did they show him? They showed him a general. He had the four stars on his lapel. He was a general. That's what his eyeballs showed him. What did he see? He saw a king. Why? Because the reality of a verse that says that Jerusalem will be taken by the adir, that is more real to him than what his eyeballs show him. So how does he address him? How do you address someone? If you see someone wearing a white lab coat, you'd call him doctor, right? He saw someone wearing a crown. Because he, to him, what he, his physical eyeballs showed him a general, so what? He had a higher reality. His reality was supplanted by the spiritual reality. What did the spiritual reality show him? It showed him a king. So how did he address him as king? He saw the world through Torah. Torah says this is a king, and that's indeed what he is. You address him how he is. So that's Rebbe Chumetzakai. And he tells the students, okay, you guys cannot have that, you know. It, it, the, you know, after the temple's destroyed, it's, very, it's harder, the spiritual level of man d- uh, dropped a little bit. Now at least have par. At least be the fear of heaven, be equal to the fear of man. And I think we look at many sources in, 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 the, in the Torah. For example, source number two. Source number two says, it, it, it grapples with the question, why do we go to a doctor when you're sick? Isn't God the one who makes you ill? So shouldn't you just deal with the source, and that's God, God makes you ill, go to God to try to rectify the sin that brought on the illness. Additionally, in source number six here, the Gemara says here that someone who sins has temporary insanity. You, you only sin if you're insane. And of course, we know a lot of sinners that aren't clinically insane. You want to say someone's patholo- pathologically unwell because they sin. But the Talmud says that they, that someone who sins is pathologically unwell. They're looking at the at the world through their lens, and their lens is that God is a reality, and God says, "Don't do something, don't eat non-kosher; it's poison." And then you see people eating poison everywhere you go. They must be insane. There's no other solution. To us, it's not insane because we don't have to see the world like they see. I gave the example. I gave the example. You have someone who's by a red light. There's a cop right behind them, and he says, "I'm driving right through." It's insane. How would you do that, right? No one does that. 
Well, how could someone do something against God? If it's a reality, it's much more than a, than a cop behind you. Obviously, if someone does that, they're insane. Now, the reason why we don't view ourselves as insane when we sin is because we don't have that same reality. But we see, uh, it makes us understand what perspective they're looking at the world for. A few more quick examples before, before we finish here. Gamar tells us, Rabbi Hanina Bendosa, his daughter went shopping before Shabbos and she bought she bought the wrong item off the list. Instead of buying oil to light the candles, she bought vinegar. So what was his response? Instead of screaming and berating her, he told her quite simply, why are you worried? He saw his daughter was depressed before Shabbos. What's the matter? Bought the wrong thing. Very poor. Bought the wrong thing. What are we going to do? Right? There's no return policy. So he tells her, "My why are you worried at all? Who decreed that oil will light? That same entity will decree that vinegar will light. Simple. And indeed, they lit the vinegar, and the vinegar lit. Because in their mind, it's not like some laws of uh, thermodynamics that make oil light. It's God making it light. That reality is reality. Okay, if God makes it light, God can make this light as well. The same same difference. And indeed, and that's just, it, it wasn't like a shock. It wasn't a miracle. A miracle is something when something departs from your reality. The, the fact that your heart beats, it's not a miracle, right? Well, it is technically a miracle. because yeah. It's technically a miracle, but we don't treat it as a miracle. Because it doesn't depart from our reality. If your reality is that God exists, and thus God interacting with you is not departing from your reality, then that's what's going to happen. It's not a miracle. So indeed, the, uh, the, the vinegar lit. Last example before we finish here. There's a great story with Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan was giving a lecture about what's going to be when Messiah comes. And he says there's going to be a gem, a diamond, that's going to be 60 feet by 60 feet. A huge diamond. And one of his students starts chuckling. He says, so he can't even find a diamond that's the size of a pebble. How are you going to find a diamond that's 60 feet long and 60 feet cubed? Fine. That's what the student says. Anyhow, that particular student is Gemara in Babasra, page 75. He goes on a, on a, on a, on a voyage on the, tr- on the sea. And he happens to see, while he's on the voyage, a huge stone... A diamond, 60 feet by 60 feet long, 30 almost by 30 almost long, and he sees angels crafting images in it. Uh, that are exactly the way Rabbi Yochanan describes. So he runs back home, and he runs to Rabbi Yochanan, you won't believe what I saw. I saw exactly like you said. So what did Rabbi Yochanan tell him? Reka, empty one. If you didn't see it with your physical eyes, you wouldn't believe it? i.e., the reality of what your eyeballs tell you is more important than what the verse says, right? You are someone who's laughing on the words of the sages, and he looked at him really sharply, and he affixed a curse on him, and the guy became a pile of bones. But here he's showing the tension. Like, how could you possibly say that what your eyeballs tell you is real, but what the Torah tells you is not real? And that's the level of chazal. To, to them, at least have parity between... What you, what the Torah says, what the spiritual world says, and what your eyeballs tell you. Who, we, you watched, we've seen movies. Eyeballs tell us a lot of things, right? The Golden Gate Bridge has been blown up 5,000 times, right? Who's to say that that's real? Is it real? We're only duped to think it's real because we have a Sarah. It's not real. Comes along Kazan and says, what is real? Reveals God and reveals Torah. And that, the level of reality where the world, the spiritual world is more real. That really went with the Sartan Temple. But the level where we could achieve parity, we could still achieve that. And that's indeed the landscape of our 
life's efforts.